I think when it does come to this area, our vantage points are so linear of what our life looks like. Like, does my life matter? It's such a loaded question, but we have such a linear view. Welcome back to the No More Zero Days podcast. On today's episode, we ask Christian all the hard-hitting questions on dating, marriage, overcoming feelings of inadequacy, being a perfectionist and learning to let God surprise you, how to overcome divisiveness in Christianity, what it's like being a woman in ministry, Christian and Arden's big move from Colorado to Nashville, Tennessee, and so much more. Episode 41 on the No More Zero Days podcast with Christian Revere begins now. I know it is early, but we are just going to hit the ground running with some pretty big questions today, and I'm excited to see all the things we're going to get through. I'm so thankful for both you and Arden and just so believe in such the big things and callings that God has on both of your lives as individuals and a couple. So let's get today's episode started. The first question I have for you today is, do you feel like there are multiple people out there that God has made for us that could fit into his plan for our life to when it comes to uh, a husband or wife? Or is there specifically one person out there that God has made for us that we should be looking for, that we should be holding out for, that we should be turning away everyone else? And before I turn the mic over to you and let you answer this question, I absolutely do want to disclaimer this to death. And I am not saying, hey, Christian, uh, can I have multiple wives? Or, hey, Christian, if I marry someone and I just feel like I this wasn't who God, you know, wanted me to marry, can I, like return him or her can i can i get a divorce and just kind of start over that is not what i am saying it is coming from my own journey as a single guy out there you know hoping to be married one day soon or to get in a serious relationship but i just feel like you know as time has gone on hindsight's always 2020 and i'm maybe a, a super analytical and really hard on myself and always trying to think about like what could i've learned or what could i've done differently in the past and i think one of the <laughs> few amazing things about social media is that it kind of gives us this thousand foot level into looking at different people that either we have dated or we thought about dating or we almost dated or maybe we admired from afar or we had a crush on them and seeing how they turned out. Now, obviously, we all know that what people post on Instagram is not their true life. You're just merely getting the highlights. But it's just been interesting to see for me from my own perspective that it wasn't that I overlooked these people or I didn't give them the time of day. It's just that like my heart and mind weren't in the right place at that time where I am now. And I really feel like I just missed the boat rather on some really um, amazing people out there. And it's been so incredible to see so many people that have accomplished so many things in their lives I never would have expected. And so I just wanted to know, because I was recently uh, listening to a, a podcast, a sermon, and the person was talking about, you know, just the value of writing down those qualities, that dream Christian husband or wife and holding on to those and praying for those every day and then thinking about them and lamenting of them. And, and I'm like, that is like a good thing to do. But like, I just feel like in my own journey, and I think it's a journey that all of us have gone down. And sometimes it's even a subconscious one. It's, we don't even realize it, that we're turning away other people or we're like, eh, like he or she, like they're, you know, they're, they're nice and they go to church and I see them serving and, and doing, you know, community groups or this, that, and the other, but like, they're just, you know, not over six feet tall or like they don't have less than 10% body fat or they, this, that, and the other. And I feel like 
Well, it's not even what I feel like. It's about what do you think. So I'm not even going to share what I feel like because I feel like I've already ranted too long and I don't want to skew your answer. So are there multiple people out there that God uh, has on this earth that could fit into his plan for our life? Or is there one specific person we should be holding out for, praying for, believing for, turning away every other person until we feel like this is the one? I think I would answer both of those yes. Because the, and again, I'm no relationship guru i even think it's interesting the bible doesn't really even talk about dating um probably because it is such a taboo subject we're like we're just gonna skip over this let's just talk about singleness and marriage but um i see both ends of the spectrum and like you're saying they're both very real they're both very prevalent in this day and age so what i say to people in those areas is very different than what i'm saying to the other as far as um, the advice I give, I sound like I'm a relationship coach. I'm like, all these single people come to me and I'm the godfather of dating, godmother. But what I've seen with people that are in those areas is they both need to be encouraged in the way to go because dating and relationships and marriage is not a one-size-fits-all. I've seen people that have been friends for like five years and one day something clicked and they fell in love and had the babies and everything and um, I personally met my husband and we were engaged three months after we met and we did long distance where um, funnily funny enough I never thought that would be my story Um, I did think I would walk into a room and see him and um, the heavens opened and a dove all these doves a dove landed on him and you know what I mean I thought it'd be something like that um hated the idea of long distance but here we are that's what we did we're doing long distance right now um let me let me retie all this back I think I went on a tangent but I would say yes to both of those questions because the people that are in the different areas need to hear a different side of the equation. I feel like dating is almost in a Rubik's Cube or something where it's like it's not one clear format but you have to tweak it and figure it out until until it gets to the right what would you call that completion the the color-sided form it's in because if we look at it from the first objective of is there only one person I'm married to someone that far exceeds anything I could have expected and is the best person I ever dated and that's why I'm married to him so in that realization I'm like yes this like this is my person if I were to think oh you know maybe there are other people what would that do to my marriage what if we went through a rough patch in a year and someone came up and I was like oh no you know what yeah I could have married him he was okay but let me just go to this next person I have to I have to be all in with the idea that once I'm married, like, that is the one person I chose. That's the one person that, um, you know, unless God forbid anything ever happened, I, that's the one person I'm going to be with the rest of my life. But the other side of it of are there multiple people that it could work with? I think obviously it could because what if I would have chosen to marry someone I dated before Arden? It's, it's like so weird for me to say that, but it... I have to, I kind of feel like, and this is just my own, this is not deep theological thinking, but this is my own kind of understanding of our walk with God, is it's almost like a woven highway, and there's like um, side roads and side roads, and I think God's ability to be God intersecting with our free will 
whenever we bring him into the misdirection, he can interweave it and connect it back to the main road. Like there's always a way to get back on the highway kind of thing. So if you feel like, oh my gosh, I was not seeking God when I was dating someone and we had a, a child together, we got married. Like I think God has such an ability especially when we didn't know him or we didn't know any better. And now we're like, oh my God, I just want to serve God with my marriage, but I've skewed it all up. I think he can weave it back to the way of even if the person you're with um, isn't what you thought, isn't who you thought you would end up with. Like he has a way to be God in that equation. But um, to think there also isn't like this divine appointment God puts, especially on marriages, which is such a huge part of our lives and who we become like that's to me that doesn't that doesn't put God enough in the God seat of dating like who are we to think I'm just gonna choose and if I get it wrong I'll choose again and I'm, I'm we're just gonna go here and there like I want to be guarded guided by God in that like not saying it does have to be that no one else is in the room moment but like praying and asking his wisdom and then the free choice comes when we choose and I, I feel like almost, it's almost like not an arranged marriage. Like, let's say that's when I hear the first one, I'm like, it's not an arranged marriage. God's not going to make you marry this one person in your life and you're not going to love them or they're not going to be the hottest person out there. Like when you fall in love with someone and like when God is directing you both, there is an attraction level. There's an intimacy level that can't even be put into words of just like society manner. Like it's just, it's it's blessed for lack of better word and there's always going to be someone hotter or someone more educated or something but that doesn't matter there's going to be someone hotter than you (laughs) like let's just take again the comparison mindset and that FOMO experience out of dating because from what I hear dating's already hard enough right now let's not try to put all the what-ifs in the world and let's just say you know what there's probably a ton of people I can meet but I believe the one person that I end up with is going to be the best for me. Not the fear of there's one person and I have to find them by this age. What if they live in another state? But just like, maybe let's just pray this. If <laughs> You're single. God, I trust you with this area of my life. I trust you to lead me to the right person and to give me the peace and wisdom when I do meet them. Like that's, that's all I can chalk it up to. So yes and yes, but mainly one. (laughs) I love that answer so much. And I know it's going to impact so many people because it impacted me and just hearing your wisdom on that. I loved how you talked about this idea of true love and learning to love someone and and, and abiding in that love. Because I think sometimes we conflate love and lust in this era of just constantly being fed with media, being fed with dating apps, being swipe left or swipe right, or look how cute he is or she is, or look at what he has or she has or what they don't have or what family they come from. And there's always that FOMO that you talked about that's out there and it's can truly lead you to a place of uncertainty and confusion and honestly disappointment and an overall outlook, a negative outlook about dating of always feeling like, well, what if I'm going to settle for the wrong person or there always is someone out there. But I, I really love the the truth that you spoke into that kind of question at the heart of it. And that's, you know, trusting God and learning to love the person that you're with and knowing that there is always someone that physically looks better or whatever. But at the end of the day, we all know if if we've been around a relationship long enough as that, that six pack or that whatever truly fades away pretty quickly. 
when they have a crummy personality or they're not seeking God or they're not respecting us or honoring our hearts or our wishes. So on that note, uh, I don't want this episode to be all about relationships, but you talked about marriage. And again, I love you and Arden so much. I want to ask you a question uh, about what was it like being married into the Bevere family? Was there any anxiety? Was there any feelings of inadequacy, any nerves about marrying someone that has a, to be honest, a, a well-known family name that they've, you know, John and Lisa have uh, gone all over the world and spread Jesus's name and put in a lot of hard work. And so have all of their um, sons. And I think it's such an amazing thing of what that family continues to do. And I really look up and honor and respect them. But I just want to ask you personally, was there any feelings of anxiety or nerves around, I'm going to be a Bevere? I mean, the first word that comes to mind, as you'd probably imagine, is intimidating um, from the legacy mindset and also just coming into something that has been established that is, you know, whether it be a family or a business, um, even like a God-sized dream, something that is established and there's legacy already there, you do kind of ask yourself, man, do I stand up to what's been created? Do I, like, am I going to be almost like a Jenga situation? Like, am I going to mess everything up or is this going to work out really well? Um, That was probably my instant thinking. And when you say inadequacy, I think I put a lot of that on myself of, okay, you know, I'm going from this small town girl in Alabama to um, one, being a wife, also stepping into this ministry, getting to work for them, with them. Um, And just, there are people that (laughs) uh, follow them, if that's what you're going to call it on Instagram, and just um, have seen what they've done over the years. And so I did put myself, I think, I put myself more under a microscope than anyone else. But there is, there is just side conversations of like, okay, you're a Bevere now. And I'm like, yep, that's my last name. (laughs) What's it to it? Uh, But, but yeah, I think to, to make it a manner that people can relate to, Anytime you're stepping into something that does feel bigger than yourself, you do come up against a lot of tension. Some of it can be intimidating. Some of it can um, make you face off with things. But in hindsight, when I look back, I realize how much I did have to combat ways of thinking, how much I did have to strengthen my own beliefs and my own self-worth so that there was no questioning. Or if there was questioning, it didn't matter. And I'm thankful that I do have an incredible husband that um, just believed in me from the beginning, even as I've been growing and even as I've started to believe in myself more. So you touched on something that I feel like hits home for a lot of us. I want to dig a little bit deeper just really quickly. And that's this feeling of inadequacy. And it just really has come to mind for me uh, in a lot of ways, especially recently when we think about just kind of the climate of where we are in 2021, coming off of 2020, dealing with a lot of, you know, for some of us, a lot of big changes. Um, And maybe some of us, there aren't changes, but I would probably bet a big amount of money on the likelihood that a lot of people listening today, there's something big that's changed in your life. And you potentially could feel, uh, you know, overwhelmed or inadequate to address the situation, be that financially, be that spiritually, be that relationally, something has changed for now you're in a situation where you feel inadequate to address the situation, or rather your life was kind of in air quotes on hold last year in 2020. And now here we are, you know, in July of 2021 and it's still there. 
and or now you have to all of a sudden you have to address it again that thing that bill that relationship whatever it was was on pause and now here it is again and it's still feeling inadequate to address that so what have you learned christian in your journey recently or over the years about feeling inadequate about feeling inadequate and addressing those times and those thoughts and those fears in your head that you could share with us what can we learn from you yeah yeah that's so real and like you said especially right now i think people are Maybe not even so much dealing with it for the, for the first time, but realizing they're dealing with it. And even what I've kind of uncovered in the last week or so, honestly, Eric, is the realization that I think comparison and self-worth feed into that area, um, almost like a root system that we don't see. Like we're on the surface level and we're like, why do I feel this way? Why is this move so chaotic? Why do I why is it so hard for me to get off the couch going with a 50 pound analogy and what I've seen on the comparison side of it is we're constantly whether it be in real life social media just in our own thoughts comparing where other people are their seasons of life what they look like um, what their occupation is and thinking if if my weight loss journey doesn't match theirs, if I don't hit this status or this thing at this point, uh, I'm failing. And sometimes that brings that inadequacy, whether you take it spiritual or just self-help and route saying, maybe your journey doesn't look like that. Maybe you're supposed to lose two pounds a week instead of 10 pounds a week. Okay, that's not healthy. If you're trying to lose 10 pounds a week, let's just like, I love the ambition, but let's pull it back a little bit. Like, what does your journey look like? Um, And I think when we're looking down the lane of, okay, where do I want to go? What is achievable for me? Where do I need to be right now? If we're looking to the right and the left of other people, we're really going to have a hard time seeing a jaded path in front of us. And it's hard to focus. Like you said, it's hard to know how do I even begin to do what I need to do today? But if we can focus on our own path and really be um, rolling up our sleeves and like ready for what the day brings, that requires us to... um, an Instagram terminology stay in our lane (laughs) and then when it comes to self-worth especially when it comes to women I see my gender take on this in a very very heavy way and I think the only way to really have a healthy sense of self-worth is to hold it with open hands Um, I think we want to control so much in life our image and our worth falls right into that category So we think, you know, I'm going to read a self-help book. I am going to go on a diet. I'm going to do this. And then I will look better. I will feel better. I will be worth more. And if you can, take a second to step out of that mindset and think, will I really? Like, one, is my worth something that needs to be built up? Or does my worth already exist and I just feed into it? If you think about it as a second, then you're never striving for the next best thing to look your best. You're never working towards, well, um, I'm not adequate today, but if I just can do this and all this inadequacy will disappear. I, I mean, I've had to really tell myself that as a perfectionist and just saying, you know, am I doing this to do a good job in this area or am I trying to prove something? If I'm trying to prove something, the process is skewed, the journey is skewed, the product in itself is skewed, no matter how good it looks. Um, 
I even did a live or something the other day and someone's like, you're an incredible woman of God. Like, thank you. And I'm like, I'm not though. You know what I mean? Like, I'm a woman, yes. And I serve God. Uh, I love my life. I love where I am. But I'm just someone that's still learning every single day. And not to have a false sense of humility, but that in and of itself was the most empowering thought I had all day. Not that someone really enjoyed what I put out there, which usually is. That's usually when I'm like, yes, I'm doing it right. But having that thought, I really just said, thank you, God, that I'm allowed to grow, that I'm allowed to serve you. Like that's, that's where adequacy comes from. So being a perfectionist is definitely something I can relate to and something I have to constantly battle. But I want to ask you and get your opinion on, as a self-proclaimed perfectionist, how are you able to balance this idea of always goal setting and and looking back and and micro analyzing yourself for, and finding all those imperfections or where it could have improved but also as a as a woman of faith like allowing god to bring about some some change or bring about some unexpected things and having this balance of i want to be intentional with my actions i want to be uh, exceptional and, and excellent all that I do, but also, oh God, I want to have open heart and an open mind and, and an open hands to whatever it is you have for my life and what can I learn from you, God? How, how do you balance those things? And by the way, I've said this a gajillion times on my podcast so far, so I'm sure if you're listening, you're a long-time listener, you're like, please shut up about this, but I just want to put this out there. I'm saying this from the perspective of someone that absolutely beats themselves up to the death that is a perfectionist because... I look at all the things I hope I would have accomplished by 30 uh, as far as things that I dreamt about when I was 20 or 25. I was like, oh, I'll easily have accomplished being in a relationship, having this, having that, having kids, having that. And to be honest, I've accomplished or will accomplish none of those things uh, here in the next few months. So I just wanted to share that, that this is not coming from a judgmental perspective, but <laughs> a place of complete empathy and sympathy. Oh, yeah, that is... A loaded question. I mean, I will try my best to <laughs> shed some light on it. Um, but before I even do, it's just, it's so funny because when I think of you and Arden and I talk about you, we're like, what a creative guy, what a kind-hearted person, what a an ability just to thrive in whatever he's doing. And so even just that of, of us thinking, wow, what, you know, accomplish whatever the word you want to put in there, thinking highly of someone else, but how quickly we can be like, I'm doomed. <laughs> it's the, the 30th birthday and um, all these things haven't happened. So I really do. I think when it does come to this area, our vantage points are so linear of what our life looks like. Like, does my life matter? It's such a loaded question, but we have such a linear view. And I remember when I was uh, a kid, my dad used to always take us out on the boat. And we would go out on from our little, we're from Alabama guys, so just kind of envision this if you're listening. But you'd have like just this little kind of murky, marshy river. And then it opens out into the Gulf where it's huge and massive. And when we would um, go in the Gulf, we would always come back and make it back to the river. But when you're out in the Gulf, you just see a lot of water all around you. It's hard to really know where you are unless you're really grounded to some other system that's telling you. And we would go out there and we're just hitting waves. You're going up and down. And I'm like, we are lost. Oh, no. Okay. We're back in the river. Like in an instant, you just kind of 
recalculate, but it's because from where I could see on the boat, I just saw us going up and down and up and down. But because my dad had the GPS system and he had navigated these waters many times, he knew how to direct us there, even when it did look like we were just in the same water or we were just going up and down. And I think that communicates so much to our walk in life and just our life in general. It is a lot of highs and lows and ebbs and flows from where we're going to where we're supposed to be. But if we are rooted in God, he is the one that has like, hey, I know this point gets here and this looks like a failure, but it's actually a positioning. And if we can trust that, um, you know, if my dad didn't trust the GPS system, he probably would have been like, oh, it looks like it's over there. So I'm going to recalculate. But we have to stay in line with what God is saying, because his vantage point, his thoughts, his plans even are so much further developed and honestly better than anything we can plan. Um, Like even in a silly way, I told myself when I was younger, if I don't get married by the time I'm 22, there's too many people and I'm never going to meet my spouse. Obviously, (laughs) that wasn't right. Um, And I know that's, you know, I did get married quicker than other people. Um, We have had children slower than other people. It's just there's such different timelines and plans that all orchestrate together like I promise you if you're listening God has not forgotten you and he's not forgotten your dreams and I think the quicker we can have them open-handed and pull him into the equation um, I'm not going to say the quicker they turn out but the better they turn out and you said something else that I wanted to touch on and I don't think (laughs) I'm just picturing myself on a boat somewhere Oh, you said the move to Nashville. Um, I think the process, especially when you are a perfectionist and even a creative person, it's hard to think, okay, I'm excited about this. In my mind, I've already dreamed up a million different scenarios or products, even made a Pinterest board about whatever the dream may be. And I've had to fight sometimes being frustrated when I've created a whole dream in my mind. Um, if you're someone listening to this that's been in the dating sphere, like, I planned our whole wedding on Pinterest, and he turned out not to be the greatest guy. Um, for me, the best, and I'm honestly still figuring this out every day, but the best thing I've learned to do is, you know, the Bible says we prophesy in part. I think we have to dream in part of like, hey, you know, right now, this is what it looks like. Um, from my point of just me thinking about it, this is what the dream looks like. But not let that alienate us from um, what's going on in real life, what God's speaking and and tweaking every single day. Um, Because even in the Bible, there was Abraham who thought for a minute, okay, this is what this direction looks like. I'm going to take my son up here. I have to kill him. And like in a second, God's like, hey, you know what? Let's hold on real quick. didn't mean actually kill him Um, and he returned that whole story and just pivoting but if he wasn't in tune with God's voice um, I know that's a little bit morbid sorry guys we're talking about weddings and dreams and Pinterest to killing your son (laughs) but um, all that to say let me let me get out of this rabbit hole and tie it up Um, it's kind of funny because yesterday we've been waiting probably three months now to get into our loft I've been in Nashville for a month waiting to get into our new loft. Um, 
honestly, Eric, I told Arden on the way over there, I was like, I just want to walk in and feel like this dove ascending on me kind of moment and just this peace where this is our home. I walked in. The air was not working. The lights were not working. <laughs> there was um, scuff marks and things everywhere, and it's a 700 square foot loft. So I was like, hmm... Yeah, Arden, I can't stay here tonight. <laughs> but I went back to where I was staying and I prayed. I said, okay, you know what, God? If this is the home for us, like, can you please just have the AC work? Like, just have one thing work out as a confirmation. And I walked back in there, honestly kind of hoping the AC wasn't working. <laughs> and it was. And I walked in there and as soon as I knew, I knew in my heart, okay, God, you have this as a place for us we're going to make it the best. And if you're a part of the equation, it's going to be amazing. My whole perspective changed and I, I started to get those heavenly peaceful moments and, and ideas and vision for what it can look like. So I think even in the disappointment, dreams still have a place. So speaking of moving in new places, tell me about what excites you most about Nashville. What was that journey and experience like for you two of saying, hey, you know what, we're leaving Colorado and we're moving to Nashville, Tennessee? It's very, it's very exciting. It is completely different, the environments of Nashville versus um, Colorado Springs and just Tennessee and Colorado in general. For me, it is, I want to say maybe the easiest because I did only live in Colorado for three years and it is closer to home for me. I think when I was in Colorado, I had a deeper appreciation and yearning for the South, whereas before I had only lived in Alabama, and I thought, if I only live in Alabama my whole life, oh my goodness. <laughs> and then actually moving, I was like, wait, you know, Alabama is not so bad. I like humidity. <laughs> I'll say it. But Nashville has been, I think, a um, a questionable dream for a long time, and felt like it almost did need to be a thrust for everyone in order to happen and that's exactly what has happened and is still happening and it's interesting to see that play out and all the little pieces that go into making <laughs> this mass exodus as a family happen and I think I'm excited about how unforeseeable this is like I never would have thought even six months ago that this all would be happening and even though I knew I had an appreciation for the South I was thinking maybe back to Alabama or Charleston or something like that and instead we are right in the city where everyone is moving and I feel such a peace on it that I'm like okay I've never lived in a city before usually don't love cities but I love it here like there I think you can just tell whenever God's peace isn't something and it seems like a great place and a lot of alumni here with us. Eric and I actually met how long ago did we meet? Is it uh, seven years? Eight? Yeah, probably eight. I, I think I was a junior in college at Auburn when we met. Um so it was so it's it's fun to me. I love what I love about the South is that there are ties it feels like everyone knows everyone somehow like you stop and talk to strangers I've just missed that honestly I can 100% relate to that 
love how nice everyone is here. I generally used to tell people, I feel like if my car broke down the side of the road in Atlanta, Georgia, that I've lived in the last four years, no one is stopping to help me. But I feel like if my car breakdowns here, uh, there's a long line of people waiting to step up and help. So uh, taking a hard right turn here, a little bit of shift of topics, elevating the intensity of the question a little bit. I feel like 2020 was an interesting year because I feel like it was a year of divisiveness, right? Whether that was politically, whether that was uh, unfortunately spiritually. I feel like that there was a lot of division created amongst believers that truly kind of broke my heart in a way. And it became extremely political. You know, religion was weaponized, in my opinion, politically, uh, even racially. Uh, there was a lot of divisions and you have to, you know, if you believe this, then you're not a Christian or you are a Christian. If you believe this, then you are voting for this person or you're not going to vote for this person. And there was just a lot of, I feel like lackadaisicalness and people checking out of faith and just kind of putting their life spiritually on cruise control. Cause it was just like, I don't want to go to Sunday church or hear a sermon. Now I'm getting, you know, I, you know, they're bringing up whatever the, the topic is that's, being debated of every hour of every day already on CNN or meet the press or whatever. And so I feel like a lot of people checked out of faith, unfortunately. Um, And I feel like a lot of people too, because of that, when they look at how believers in Jesus acted on social media, because that was just how most all of our interaction went last year, because we're all stuck inside was, you know, I had a lot of non-christian friends that were just like laughing at you know would send me stuff it was like this is so stupid that people are trying to say this bible verse equates to this behavior or voting for this person or this that the other but you know i feel like there's a lot of people that you know you, you talk about oh i'm a christian they're like oh yeah sure whatever but if you were to say like oh you know i'm a i'm a buddhist monk or i'm a muslim or i'm whatever you know people are immediately like oh wow like you're, you're really serious about your faith. But for some reason, like when we bring up Christianity, people are just like, oh, one of those. Mm-hmm. Sure. Especially after last year. So I know this is a million dollar question that if you could answer, could change the whole trajectory of our nation and not saying that you're not uh, capable of answering the question, but I just want to get your perspective. What do you feel like it's going to take for us to come back together, to heal, to bridge those divides um, as a body of believers uh, across these many multitudes of things that have us shattered as, as the church, as the body of Christ? Okay, pastors and churches, listen up. Here's your answer. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, you know, maybe the best way to answer a general question is to start uh, a little vague. So I think one thing with that question that also brought me back to what we were talking about earlier is I'm reading a book right now by Corey Ten Boom called The Hiding Place and she has an incredible testimony as a woman I believe she was actually an evangelical leader a few or for the last however many years in the 1900s and it's interesting because her story starts out very detailing the beginning of her life like down to father came down the stairs this day and we had coffee and she reveals that she was a I believe 50 year old spinster never had been been married and lived at home with her sick sister and her older father and I was like I thought this lady was like an evangelical and we were gonna be like boom people could say boom this incredible story but it starts out very very slow and almost what you're saying earlier of she was at the sage and hadn't accomplished anything and 
from that I was automatically almost I think in our society mindset trying to be like what is this story even going to be interesting like I thought who is this woman and the more I read the I don't want to <laughs> I don't want to give a spoiler alert because it's an incredible book I think people should all go read it but um the more I read I realized how all of those details pulled me into her story all led up to where she was in life and eventually when World War II broke out she and her family became a hiding place for Jews that were in um the surrounding area and took them in and it's just an incredible story of how even this person that started out voicing her own struggles like and voicing her own restrictions when it did come to faith like her sister was so easy to see the German soldiers and be like man we really need to pray for them and she's like honestly I already like gosh I'm getting so morbid in this but in her mindset she'd be like gosh I already like killed them in my mindset like they're dead to me they're German soldiers what are you talking about and so her journey of coming into faith of this is harder for me this is hard for me to be just this heavenly devout Christian to this whole experience of just trusting God and partnering with him to do incredible things and the minute things that just come daily with faith uh, leading to her being this incredible evangelical woman and something in that to me resonates with where we are because whether you are a minister, a pastor, a college student, someone completely new to faith, it is important to have that understanding and that representation because I think it's been watered down a little bit in the United States. Um, And as of anything, I mean, we're way more critical on ourselves and maybe uh, on those close to us because we are so close to them. Whereas, uh, I don't know about you, Eric, but I don't know that many Buddhists. (laughs) I'm not up close to their their process. So it's easy from afar to be like, oh, they have it figured out. And that's a a strong religion. But this one that I'm close to and interwoven in, it's so flawed, so skewed. Uh, It's just easy to be more critical of things that you're looking at with a microscope. But in the same breath, there has been a lot of tension, conversation, a lot of things to overcome. And again, not to over-spiritualize it, but I think you're on the right path. It is a testing. It is a vessel to try to tear people apart. And honestly, in that journey I mentioned earlier of what does my self-worth look like and what is that tied to, I think are opinions on everything and our pride and our stances and our social media platforms need to be separated or else it does feel like I made this post trying to speak for this person and because this person thought differently we are on completely different planets there's discord between us rather than if we identify that we are I'm this person and this is this person and I care for them and I know we have this semblance of faith let's talk about what the opinions look like not make the opinions the faith factor but keep them in the right place um another book i read recently which is also thrilling but sometimes interesting was uh green lights by matthew mcconaughey and he mentioned one part where he was in africa and these two men were bickering and they were getting really passionate really heated sharing their different sides and he tried to come in probably as an American typically does and be a mediator and say well you know he's got a point he's kind of right 
And one of the men just yelled at him and he said, stop it. That's not the point. The point is to find where we stand together, to find the middle ground. We're not trying to say who's right. We're trying to grow closer. And if we could adopt that, you know, I know the faith factor is a bigger question, but it is right now. So much of it is how are we getting along just with other people, let alone other people that share our faith. But if we can come to the table of this is who I am and then this is this thought I have, like, let's talk about it rather than if you don't agree with me, you're dead to me. Does that even scratch the surface? So I want to dig just a little bit deeper on this idea of how do we unify the body of Christ and kind of deal with this division that continues to float towards the top so much and at every step of the way. And it just feels like there's so much, I'm right and you're wrong. And, and just everything in society right now is so frustrating with that. But I want to ask you, and again, I'm not trying to trip you up. And I think a lot of us are still working through the answer to this question um, as, as we should and, and asking God questions. I know there's so many things that I don't understand times. I'm just like, God, can't you just give me like the cheat sheet answer to the question? Like, um, uh, the, the question just being around this idea of again, unity, healing, and division of, I feel like there's a lot of people that just, you know, we just need to love people and that's it. You know, there's a lot of pulpits that would say that, or maybe a lot of podcasts or preachers and we just need to focus on loving people and that's what's going to unite us. But my question is if we simply leave it at that, like, I just know that God, if you read the Bible, God is very clear on how he wants us to live our lives and what he wants us to believe for and act for and, and how we should be thinking about eternity in our life on earth. And he's very clear on what he stands for, of, of what he loves and what he hates, on what he's for and what he's proud for and, and what he's so venomously against. So how do we balance this idea of just unity and love, but also standing firm on those things that God calls us to to live our life and and to rally around for the kingdom. Yeah, I'm like you said, I'm definitely still figuring that out. And I find myself often in this weird tension of my nature is very much to be an encourager. But then when I care for someone deeply, I'm like, why are you doing that? <laughs> Especially if I, I mean, I have three younger sisters. If I've walked through something and been burned from it and I see them walking the same path, I'm like, what are you doing? Like, do you not realize like you're walking into fire here kind of situation? But again, our vantage points are so linear that we have to have, we have to have grace when somebody walks through something and they're trying to come out of it. Obviously, I think, I think we get that part, but we have to have grace in the realization that people still have the free will to make choices. So we can't force them into um, a hindsight they don't have yet. We can advise them. We can encourage them, as I hope we always do in every situation. But as far as making them understand, that is a part of the puzzle that God has to interweave. And like, of course, who are... Who are we to think we can completely get someone to a saved mentality without Jesus interweaving and making a personal connection with that person? Um, I say that with force because I'm like, Christian, (laughs) why do you think you can make someone understand? But it's, it's disheartening, honestly, for me, seeing when it does feel like we're 90% in the not understanding and 10% in the people understanding and having wisdom and realization. And I don't know if I can speak to what it takes to change that, but from what my approach going forward and how I'm 
trying even to live my life in a positive way to correct that percentage is I know there are probably still areas that I need to get some of that wisdom on too. So gleaning from, you know, the mentors in my life, the amazing parents that I have um, by birth and in-laws and in receiving the wisdom that they've walked through, I don't think that's voice as much anymore. It's like become an overnight success and come on Instagram and get your following. But it's like, okay, we're all like 20 and 30 years old on Instagram. Why don't we seek mentorship or just like take a Sunday to learn from someone um, that is older than you that again, that has walked through some of these things. They may not have had Instagram, but they've navigated businesses. They've navigated marriages. Gosh, people, I'm like, people stop hating on marriage. I feel like a lot of what we're doing right now is from alienating ourselves and thinking that's a whole nother rabbit hole and that's another podcast sorry but um seeking wisdom learning from things that we may not have um that vantage point on or that understanding yet and also just getting in deep relationships because I know for me the the times that I have been able to positively influence someone the most not every time but most consistently has been whenever I have established some type of relationship with them and that's people that have learned to trust me as a person so they trust my advice they trust my wisdom they see my faith up close and they're like okay I I do want to learn more about this you know granted there have been other times where (laughs) I worked at uh, Hamilton's at Auburn um, and I was still very much figuring out faith always figuring out faith at that time but there were still even when you are walking into a relationship with God and you're in the baby steps you have a realization where you can share with someone that doesn't know Christ so I don't want you to think I can't I can't say anything until I'm 50 years old and have been walking with the Lord forever you know even when you're like I just got saved and it's the most amazing thing ever I have to tell someone please run with that um, but even when I worked at uh, in a restaurant in college, I would share with people sometimes that maybe not saw my faith up close, but they're like, I see that you don't drink or I see that you don't cuss. Like, why is that? So it's been that way. But most consistently, whenever someone knows that you care for them, and I think John Maxwell says it is a place of people don't care how much you know until they know that you care. But knowing, hey, I see someone that's struggling with something and because they know I care and because I'm saying this because... I want to see them set up the best, not because, again, I want to push my own narrative. They're, gosh, I'm making up all these percentages, but like 10 times more likely to actually receive the heart of what you're saying. Um, I, I do think one of the biggest things that if we can combat this as a generation that can help us be able to learn from each other better is just not putting our opinions, our careers, our narratives, and our notions into who we are as a person because there are some narratives going around, some issues, some hashtags floating around uh, the internet and the world right now that I think people have made, this is who I am. I'm a hashtag this. I'm an identifies as this. And it's like, eat even if that is 100% correct, that's not who you are. That's something you believe. That's something that you walk in. But who you are is whatever your name is. Who you are is honestly, whether you know it or not, uh, a creation of God and hopefully becoming a child of God. 
and it I mean if you're listening to this it breaks my heart too to see some of the things we are um I don't think we can put down an iron fist and just like Thanos snap everything (laughs) into um how we want to see it but I think part of that and this is just the four in me or whatever you want to call it part of that is beautiful to realize I can do something each day in love in positivity in partnership with Christ to make a better influence I don't know it's it's a little romantic to me but call it what it is so speaking of hashtags and internet things I'll just ask you point blank I know this is another loaded general question but it is the season how do you feel like social media helps us and how do you feel like social media hurts us all these loaded questions. I'm going to give you kudos on that. That's a great <laughs> interviewee skill. Um, to make a long story short, I technically met my husband over Instagram. <laughs> oh, but even see, even that I laugh because it feels like a negative um, because there are real side effects or um, boundaries that come with social media that we need to be aware of. But I've made many friends. I've been able to share things that um, people say have reached them and encouraged them. So I definitely see the positive ways that social media can unite and um, direct and inspire. But I've also been the person that looked down and realized I was scrolling for <laughs> close to an hour and thought, have I learned, like, am I any better for this? Or should I have like eaten dinner or something more um, well-fitting for my day and I think what's what I see is like a scary place for Instagram is when you are struggling in um what we mentioned earlier of like what is my worth or I know I need to do this today to get closer to my dream but it's a lot more convenient to sit here and look on Instagram and even as a creative they say there's a point where you see too much that it becomes like a um I'm losing all my words. It's too early in the morning. <laughs> what is it called? Um, pause. What's the word when you're um, like inundated? Sensory overload. There we go. Sorry. Um, there is a point that even as a creative, they say you hit a sensory overload where you take in too much, almost like where you eat too big of a meal, you your stomach can't digest it. I think that is what we're seeing. And from that, people can feel, well, I'm not going to create anything because I just, one, my brain can't wrap around it or two... I see all these other people in this area. I'm not even going to I'm not even going to post anything. I'm if I do post, it has to be the most amazing photo of me in Ibiza on a boat looking like I haven't eaten in a week. Like it's just it feeds into some of the things I think we haven't learned how to readily um assess and point out in America, you know, in other countries there's different viewpoints and things that people struggle with but I think in America it is a lot of pride if you will it's a lot of where do I stand who am I am I made it what what is my status and so thinking there's an app that's all around proving your status is very um, it's a real thing to consider let's use some caution on it there should be like a warning label when you open Instagram like can I set a timer for you? Do we not need to follow some of these people? <laughs> but at the same time, I think if you, if you're healthy in other areas of your life and you go into the app, I think it can be a great thing. And people are probably wondering, well, what does it mean to be healthy? Or who are you to tell me if I'm healthy in an area or not? Um, I think that kind of 
can even feed into what we're talking about, but because I've learned where I haven't been healthy. I'm trying to get healthier every day as far as how I see myself, my relationship with God. And so I think maybe, maybe if we focus more on other areas than we do on social media, it can be, it can be a good thing. I want to ask you, what has been your personal journey of being a female in a ministry role? Because for a lot of people, it is a taboo subject or a taboo thing to have a female in a ministry role. But uh, I can only speak for myself, and that's that I just genuinely love seeing both a man and a woman um, leading and mentoring other men and women in ministry. And I think that there's something so special about having um, that unity up there. And, and maybe that's just from my own personal perspective of going from a church or going to a church rather here here in Nashville that have both a uh, husband and wife as the two lead pastors of the church and, and getting the benefit of of the true God-given created differences between men and women, both emotionally uh, and, and just the way that their mind works of getting to understand and learn uh, and bring God's word to life in new and different ways from both of their perspectives is such just a beautiful thing. So I'm just curious, what has been that your own journey like of being a female in ministry? The correlation that I have been able to see it in just first of people other than myself have been um, my parents-in-law and um, Alex and Henry as we get to know them more and more. And I love seeing that narrative of husband and wife in ministry because it is such a partnership that where you do see both of those on full display. You do have the emotions come together, the wisdom come together, the the balancing of what happens in marriage even coming into the church, which I think is so beautiful. Not that you have to be in ministry or you have to be married. I love both and I'm an advocate for both. But... There is something special that happens in like that melting pot of sorts where what comes together, what happens after the the boiling and the processing is a great product. And to see that played in both is really unique. And um, if you don't know, Arden and I, my husband, we co-run, he's the boss, but we co-run a initiative called Sons and Daughters where we are a ministry outreach of sorts we're also on instagram and um, we do events and podcasts and all of the things and we get to do that together and i've seen where it's been sometimes him really leading running with a vision and like i need to come around that or me really directing a creative direction <laughs> directing a creative direction <laughs> um yes correct wow me directing things really creatively and him coming around that and you see even just if we boil it down to like just this partnership teamwork mentality because I think everyone can identify with that people's different strengths coming together when you want to share a stage when you want to um, have the product be the focus instead of yourself it becomes a much better atmosphere and area and and what's produced is so much better than you could do alone and even going back to that perfectionist mentality I was the person, I mean, even in journalism school, you don't really do a lot of group projects. (laughs) You have to produce your own papers and you have to do a good, um, you have to do a good job. You have to get the right job. And I'm going to say that again because I said job a lot. (laughs) Um, Even what I studied is journalism and in that there's not a lot of like science fair group projects going on. It's 
you write your own paper, you get the job, you get the internship, and it's self-focused and self-run. So coming into marriage or teamwork or ministry or church, um, serving team that you're with on Sundays, you see something beautiful when you do come together. But you do have to have a strong individual um, approach and like know who you are to be a good piece on a team primarily with women in church um I have seen a little bit of the people that think why why is Lisa Bevere on that platform she's a woman she's a witch (laughs) I'm really surprised how many people say witch like have we not created another word by now um I have been impacted by many male pastors I've been impacted by incredible women leaders I think there's like you said strengths to both there has um I'll just take mine too in laws for for this conversation. I've seen John say things that like spark an initiative in me that um correct a thought that I've been having, especially around complaining. He's he's that's one that I can just point to and that has really stirred um where I'm going and where I'm heading. And then I've been in sessions with Lisa where the words that she's saying I feel so seen. I feel so welcomed and valued and she speaks to personal um hurts that have gone through that only a woman could and so in my mind I think why on earth would we want to take a whole gender away from the pastoral role which pastorship is not who gets the mic on a stage it's who is leading this flock on this day intentionally and we have men that are so great and um casting a vision and and leading and we have women that are so great in nurturing and which just pause right there nurturing is not a second class job and it's not a lesser of the two it is a type of leadership in and of itself and it's a care that I think you have to have special skill set to be able to facilitate pause back into what I was saying but if we have both of those, how much better is everyone in, like you're saying, everyone in the congregation because they feel feel seen and valued and they feel stirred and they feel encouraged and they are all those things because we're not just running in one area. So <laughs> I know you asked me how I feel about being a woman in ministry, but I think women in ministry um, are just some of the best people. They're hard workers. They're, they're caring. They're they're vision focused and um, they're willing to do what it takes. Um, I think my only guidance of sorts would be not to let the naysayers or having to prove that you're a woman in ministry take away from what is actually your skill set. Second to last question, I have to ask you before I, I ask you the final question that every guest gets. Tell me about your interior design business that you've been working on because based on the quality of what I'm seeing on that Instagram, this is not something that you just woke up overnight or this is not some new skill set that all of a sudden you're just trying out. This is definitely something that's been in the works for quite some time. So tell me about the vision for that, what you hope for that, what's going on with that. Yeah, I feel like everything in my life in the last three years has been very fast and um, okay, God's doing it. Let's go. Like the, what does the office mean? Office meme where he's like, okay, it's happening. Let's go. Uh, that's been my life except for 
Uh, even the Nashville move in the recent months has been that way. But there's been a few dreams and initiatives that have felt quite the opposite, that have been very slow coming and very hard to pinpoint or identify. And interior design has been one of those. And at first it, it felt like, okay, God, you do everything really fast. So what do, is this not a thing? <laughs> what are you doing? And I've been learning that God can do one thing very fast and he can be doing another one in baby steps. And going back to that dreaming process, it's been interesting of how do I plan for this? How do I strategize this? How do I fit this into my time for this week? And um, interior design is something I'm passionate about. And when Art and I got our first house, when we first got married, he bought it um, before I saw it because he lived in Colorado and I was still in Alabama, a little hard to see something that far away. And I just trusted him and we moved in and he said, oh, you really like the home process and designing homes. I'm like, yeah, so you know how much I trust you and love you because I let you pick this out without me? Okay, good. <laughs> but um, That's kind of where I did realize, hey, I, I do really love this. Maybe if other people appreciate it, there's something there. Um, it's been a question of, is this a passion project or is this a side hustle? Um, so to answer I don't know where it's going I don't know what it is and I have to be able to say that without breaking out into anxious hives <laughs> and that's a new development for me but what I love about interior design I can at least say this is I love the process of walking into a space and it feeling welcoming and as if it tells a story and if I can do that in my own home or other people's homes how how magical is that and that's all that's all she wrote for that one <laughs> stay tuned last question every guest gets it you're on the no more zero days podcast a zero day is where you get nothing done towards accomplishing your dream or goal for your life could be starting a relationship could be starting interior design business could be getting plugged in ministry could be you know, accepting Jesus as your Lord and Savior or getting closer with God this year. So I generally, 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 generally started this podcast, not because I had some catchy name, but because it was a, a true dilemma of I was living in a zero day mentality where either I was getting nothing done or I was getting everything done. I was either waking up at 5 a.m., eating keto diet all day long, exercising three hours a day, going to sleep at 8, 8, 8 p.m. and getting 10 hours of sleep, or I was sleeping until noon, going to Taco Bell three times, and the only thing I picked up was like the TV controller to, to press, yes, I'm still watching Netflix, and that was my workout for the day. So I just truly believe that if you can get out of that either zero or 100 mentality and truly learn to live somewhere between the 1 and 99 each day, at least for me, you'll look back over days, months, weeks, years, you know, decades of time and you'll look at all those small victories and all of a sudden you'll realize just how quickly you're moving towards that goal or dream for your life, whatever it is. So super open-ended question, answer it however you want to, but what advice would you give to someone that's stuck in that zero or a hundred mentality? I would say to start your day in a way that makes you move past zero and that doesn't mean you have to wake up at 5 a.m. and run a mile. Uh, I even this week one day I woke up at 10 a.m. and I was like I just messed up my whole day 
But what I chose to do instead is when I roll out of the bed, probably trying to hurry a little faster than I was the other days when I woke up on time, I'm still going to make sure I go into that day with the right mentality, whether that is, okay, I need to read my Bible to get my understanding of self right. I need to put on some worship music. I need to just like have a creative moment with my coffee, which Eric doesn't drink coffee, but I have a coffee on me right now because I just need that. Whatever it is that's going to say, this is going to help me position myself to see myself the best way, to have a positive experience, to be aligned with where I want to be, who I want to be. That's different for everyone, and it almost can feel like a little bit of gray area, but we don't know what each day holds, but what we do know is how we see it and the, the viewpoint we go into it with will highly determine how we respond to everything. So whether you get to go to the life-changing career move that day, whether you don't get to do much, but if you stay in that that positive mindset, I promise that will help shape you to whatever the day brings.